Amen. Welcome to Grace Point Church. Um, today's going to be a little bit different, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 9 and, and simply place a, a bookmark in it, and we're going to get to it later. Um, <laughs> and I don't know how much time I'll have. So, so Lindsay's here, and Lindsay's going to share with us. Um, she told me last time that I had to come up with a new story about how we met, but I can't change the story of how we met because it's can't rewrite history. Um, but one thing that we do here is we have relationships with our missionaries, and and I find that every few years it's good for me and good for them for me to go into the field and see them, uh, for me to be challenged, for me to see what they're what they're doing. And so a few years ago, I went to Nairobi to visit the Joe and Esther Wagnell, and so. While there, Joe's showing us around the hangar, and Lindsay, come, you know, comes bebopping in. You know, we were in the hangar, and she's got her morning coffee or stuff, and she runs into the building and says hi to everybody. And you know, we have we prejudge people all the time, like all the time, not even knowing that you do it. Like, but something within me is like, oh, she must be like an American missionary, just like doing admin support or something, you know, like, and and. Uh, so then later, Joe takes us into the, the building of the hangar, which is three or four stories? Three stories. And so we, wake, we, we are making our way up, and we're walking down the hallway, and Joe not really, Joe clearly forgot about the prayer meeting. But walking by, and like, oh, you're here for the prayer meeting? And Joe's like, yeah, we're here for the prayer meeting. And so then we say, like, hey, we're going to a prayer meeting. And then after the whole time, you know, we'd ask Joe for, I asked Joe for some stories or something. He's like, you know, Lindsay's the chief pilot. You should tell her. And I look over and I'm like, you're like a modern day Betty Green. Can I take a selfie with you? And she's like, what kind of wacko is this? You know, like this is a, but so then by the end of the trip, um, we as a family felt convicted to take her on as a personal missionary that we would support and pray for. When I got back here, Debbie and a few other ladies were like, why are you hogging her? You know, like, let us as a church support her also. And so, you know, some people go places and they bring home puppies. I go places and I bring home missionaries. And so, um, but her hometown is in Vegas. And so we had the in and out connection. And she was also very close to us. And so, um, you know, today she flew in at, like, she had her flight left Vegas today at 6 a.m., and then she's flying out this afternoon. And then tomorrow she flies to Montana. So she's got a whirlwind schedule. Um, but one of the things that I, I, you know, I don't have any notes here. So I have trying to remember what a, one of the things I want to say about Lindsay um, is uh, probably this time last year, she started sending Melanie notes. I said, hey, your church sent Gunner to visit. Can can you come and visit? Like, can you, like, can you? And so um, we ended up in the spring sending two young ladies, Melanie and Abigail, to go, to go visit her. And one of the things that she, um, in her, she did way more logistical support than Joe. Joe was like, okay, see you when you get here. And, and so one of the things she did was give a, um, a, like a, a required reading for the girls. And so it's this book, um, the, ins- the, the Insanity of God. And so she, um, she said, can you get a copy to give to the girls? And so I said, I, I will read the book as well. And so Anne and I read it. And I, I want to say this was probably like the most impactful book I read in 2019. So I'm really grateful for it. I've given out a bunch of copies. Um, today, Lindsay will be with us at the Bible trivia thing. 
And so I have four copies that are going to the prize table today. And so, um, but if you don't go there, ask me later, I'll give you a copy. I'm a sucker. Um, but, but really, I know I've quoted from the book a few times, and it, it's just a, a tremendous read about this, this young missionary who just is like, I'm going to go to Africa, and goes to Africa, lands in Nairobi, and kind of goes to the airport where Lindsay flies out of, and, and hops on, a, hops on a, a Red Cross flight to Mogadishu um, before we like were doing work. I have some friends that did some work there, and, and so it was before the war, but but he was there during the war. And, and so just kind of his story of being in Mogadishu um, as, as a missionary in this, this country that has like, uh, it's like unregistered number of Christians that are there. And then he comes back, and, and basically the bulk of the bulk book is him flying to um, areas in the world where the persecuted church exists and, and kind of telling their stories. Um, re- really, really powerful and really challenging. Um, so today, Lindsay can come up. Lindsay's going to share. What we're doing today is we're picking up Mark. We, we're going to pick up Mark. Um, Lindsay's like, how long do I have? I'm like, well, we basically have till 11 o'clock. And so I'm like, she can finish in 15 minutes or she can finish in 45 minutes. And then my task at the end is to do communion. So I'm prepared to speak for a long time or a short amount of time, and Lindsay will be the judge of that. Um, Okay. Okay. Great. Hey, good morning. <laughs> it's such a treat to be here, um, just to be with you guys. And I've already been welcomed this morning. I was picked up at the airport. I ate donuts. I'm here. I ate Peterson's donuts. <laughs> Rolling around in there. It's all good. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, as, as Gunnar shared, I, yeah, I got in, I come home almost every year for Christmas, uh, which is a treat. Uh, but this year, I got in just a few days before Christmas, and so I've, I've been here since about the 20th, and I go back to Nairobi at the end of the month on the 27th, arriving on the 28th. So I, we just picked this Sunday as part of my travels to come and just to share with you guys and just to give you an update and to give greetings and just to be with one another. Uh, so I do leave tonight uh, on a flight back to Vegas, so the day will be full um, yeah, but my flight over this morning was, was good and was easy, and yeah, I'm just thrilled to be here. So yeah, as Gunnar shared, uh, Melanie and Abigail did come. They came in April, and so I have some pictures from our time together, so I don't know if you can put that up, but we'll just kick off. Um, I'll kick off what I'm going to share with some pictures because everybody likes pictures, and it helps provide a bit of context uh, for what AMER is and what we do and what my role within AMER is. So this is our hangar. Uh, it is three stories. Uh, it's not big because we like it to be big. It's just big because we need to put planes in it. <laughs> and planes are big. So this aircraft right here, it seats 14. Um, and I do, I do fly that one. Uh, but yeah, we have three of these. And then if you go to the next slide, we have three of these small aircraft as well. And they seat six. So this is the one I put the ladies in. Uh, we didn't fly in the very big one. Um, but this is up in northern Kenya in a place called Kor, 
And I took them to CORE because there is a, like a young, developing, growing church in CORE, but it used to be an unreached people group. And so uh, we have a connection with a local pastor that is, he's Rendili, which is the tribe that lives in this pocket of northern Kenya. Um, and so he was willing to host us. And so I had some other interns that were coming to check out Amer specifically. So all, let's see, we had five of us packed into that plane with with our luggage and our food, and we just went and spent the weekend uh, with the church and the missionaries that live in CORE. So that was a really special time. So um, they're in skirts because that's culturally appropriate, and I can still wear pants because I'm in my uniform. But uh, if you go to the next slide, we I did change. So, uh, yeah, this is just us hanging out in the desert in CORE. So I think that Sunday you guys got, like, a fun little video that we recorded after our church service on Sunday. And then if you came to hear what they shared, they were able to speak to their time in a little bit more detail than what I will go into this morning, other than I want to communicate that we had a blast. Um, if you go to the next one. So this is gross. Um, Gunner put these photos in this morning. <laughs> I did not put them in. Um, but yeah, just go off that slide because it's nasty. But oh, you have more. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I thought it was condensed to one slide. Um, oh, oh, go, go, go back, because people like gross things. So, so this right here, like, it is cultural to actually, like, drink the blood. And so he, he like, you kind of drain it out from the goat and then uh, get the vein and drain it and then put it in a bowl. But then what he's pouring it into was the mug I had my coffee in that morning. So I uh, bleached that really well before I used it again. You can go to the next one. I'm not actually a big fan of roasted goat. It's not, um, it's, I mean, it's fine, but it's really thick, and it literally roasts all day, and it's not like in a crock pot, like it roasts on an open flame, so it's not like tender and great, but if it's what you eat, then it's what you eat, so. Um, okay, so Amer, we, and where the girls came uh, yeah, we're in Nairobi, Kenya. Where we flew to CORE was kind of like above the E, um, up into upcountry into rural Kenya. But Amer, we operate in Kenya, this country here. We're a little bit in Tanzania. We have another base in Uganda, which is right here. This is Lake Victoria. Um, we do not operate in Ethiopia. Um, we could if we needed to for emergency purposes. This is an older map. Sudan is now split into two countries, so the south and the north. They're two independent countries. South Sudan is the world's youngest country still. Uh, and then we fly over the Democratic Republic of Congo, so sometimes over Congo, and then we operate in CAR as well. So um, just for context, Africa continent, uh, these are countries. So we, I regularly cross borders flying. Um, that's quite common. So for me to fly from... Nairobi to our base in Uganda in Arua, that would take about three or four hours. So I'm regularly back and forth crossing borders, which is interesting, but I joke that I feel like I'm a spy because none of this is stamped in my passport because uh, we just cross back and forth as crew, which if any of you have traveled the world, you like to have stamps in your passport. And so mine, mine is a little bit bare, so I just like to spice it up by thinking I'm a spy. I'm not, um, but it would be cool. So that's where we operate. Uh, for context, for me to get from 
Nairobi to here, it, we connect through Europe. So it's about an eight and a half hour flight into Europe somewhere. Um, and then Europe over usually a hop on the East Coast, but you can get flights all the way into LAX if you needed to, just in case y'all want to come visit. Here we got that tidbit. Um, okay, we can go to the next one. This was up in northern Kenya. It's just, uh, I like to have my camera with me sometimes if I can. So these next few photos are just some random sh- snapshots of things that I see on occasion. Um, but the sunset was just really pretty, and there's, there's just a lady herding her camels out there that day. Can go over. Um, this was in the same location, just, um, yeah, just an elderly woman. She probably actually isn't as old as what she appears. Um, that, like, the average lifespan up country would probably be to your mid-50s. Um, this looks like it would be from, what, 1940, 30, 40? Um, no, this was 2019. Um, so these are manyatas, which are their huts. And so the women actually build the huts. So it's great for the men because they don't have to build it. Um, but they, yeah, like that's part of like your wedding preparation is you like physically go with your girlfriends and you collect all the, the things that you need and you build your hut. And so there, there's some kind of tarps and cloth wrapped around it. But interestingly, I mean, they're pretty waterproof. So this was up in the northern part of Kenya. So we were actually right just about a stone's throw from Ethiopia. Uh, and these are just two guys just sitting out there having a cup of tea. Same location. Most of these are from Dukana just because it helps for some context for what we see. Uh, but they were doing some Bible training, and they just meet underneath a tree. So it's not super common to have church buildings. Uh, you just kind of meet people where they are, especially if they're nomadic, and that way you can collect uh, just wherever you happen to find some shade. So this was a really hot day. It would have been well over 100 degrees. It was so hot I could see, like, heat coming off the ground. Like, it was hot, hot. And we're just sitting on rocks. Uh, everybody likes the animals, so... I put some elephants in. Uh, it, Africa really is beautiful. So it's just a treat because sometimes I can, I, I mean, you get to fly on safaris on occasion, um, or I can drive to them, and they're really inexpensive because we have a resident rate. But uh, elephants are one of my favorites. And as we were coming up to these elephants, uh, they were actually all spread out. They weren't collected together like this. But then as the vehicle got closer, we were just in a personal vehicle just driving, um, they all kind of gathered together, and what we realized is there's a baby elephant right in the middle, and they were fanning out their ears, and they were just extremely defensive, which wasn't great in our favor. Uh, we didn't realize how much we were actually bothering them because they typically don't group together like that, but when there is a baby, it is quite instinctive. So, yeah, so I just thought that was kind of a cool picture, and there, what you can't see is you can see the three in the front, But what's causing the gray is the largest one is actually in the very back part. So there's four large elephants here and and the little baby right in the middle. Uh, I landed at this place in South Sudan. And uh, when we land, there's typically a crowd. It's not uncommon because there's not a whole lot to do out in a village. And but this crowd is really big. And when I got there like this, 
uh, this missionary kind of swept me up and she's like, we've been waiting for you all day. And I was like, oh, am I like that late? She's like, no. She's like, but I told them. She's like, I told them a girl would be flying the plane today. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh, okay. And the funny part of that was, I was like, great. So she's like, can you, can you speak to them? I was like, don't know the language, but sure. So she translated and I got to give a word of encouragement and I got to speak, but she said, She's like, I was almost in trouble because it turns out, like, right when we were landing, there was a MAF plane that had just taken off. And she said that when he landed, all the students were like, no, you lied to us because it was a man. And she's like, no, the girl is coming. The girl is coming. So she's like, I'm really glad you're here. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. Like, girls um, in the areas that we operate often don't have, yeah, they're just not highly regarded. So the concept of a, of a woman that could to, could do a man's job or that could do any job, quite frankly, is is quite significant. So that was really fun just to to stand and I gave a greeting in a local language and just got to encourage them a bit. I think this is my last slide. Uh, we'll just I we, I I don't know. Could we bring the lights up? Bring the lights up. Is that okay? Um, oh, perfect. Then I can see you all. Uh, but this one was. This was in a refugee camp up in Doro, which is in South Sudan. And it's right by the border of North Sudan. And so there's, yeah, there's refugees from Sudan, from South Sudan, from Ethiopia, just a big blend of different cultures. But I just thought this was precious. There's just some kids. And there's not actually even a soccer ball. They were just singing and dancing in, in a circle, just enjoying time with one another. Um, so that's kind of a snapshot of what AMER does. I think you guys have seen Joe and Esther. You've read our newsletters, so you've got some context for, for what we do and where we operate. Um, and then you were able to have some understanding a bit more from Melanie and Abigail, too. And uh, Gunnar asked me to share a bit more in depth on how AMER is doing as a whole. Uh, because you guys have been praying for us and you've been tracking uh, some things that have been happening with us. Uh, And so as Joe and Esther have been sharing and maybe in more detail than perhaps what my newsletters go into, I tend to stick with stories rather than uh, current events of how we're doing. But we've had a pretty big staffing shortage, and so that's just been rough. Um, We've been short on pilots, we've been short on mechanics, we've been short on administrators, and uh, that just, it just means when you're stretched thin, there's still the same amount of work that needs to happen. And so that's been, that's been a bit hard. Um, Amer has struggled financially in the past couple years. And because of that, uh, like our board has asked for some accountability for the viability of Amer to say, hey, we love what you're doing, but how can we fix this so that you are more financially viable? And so some of those conversations took place uh, throughout the summer, and they were a bit of a stressor on our team. Uh, But we are a business. Uh, We are um, in the missionary business, but we can't be losing funding. Um, And so we were able to kind of brainstorm with them and to look at the industry and look where we're operating and say, what can we change and what can we do better and how can we better serve AIM missionaries? How can we better serve other missionaries in this local area? And how can we just operate more effectively as an organization. The, the good news that came from that um, is that our board affirmed us. They said, we like what you do. We want you to stay in existence. We want you to back you. Um, we want to support you, and we want to help you. And um, the change, there's some changes to our financial model that 
kind of open up some doors for us. So we're really excited about that. Um, we are having some management changes, so just kind of upper management fluctuating in and out. There's no conflict. There's nothing that's causing people to go. It's just the flow of life. Kids age. Um, you need to move back for college. Parents grow older. You need to come back and take care of them. All things that are happening here are also happening over there, and it's just the stressors of life, and it causes people to kind of to ebb and flow. Um, this summer, well, actually, I guess it would have been September, we had an airplane incident, which I think you guys are aware of. Is that right? So I'd like to speak to that for a couple minutes because you heard about the incident, but you haven't heard how we're doing since then. Um, but what happened was that one of the small planes, um, it, we were on a medevac flight coming back from northern Kenya back to Nairobi, and it had an engine failure. And we, we praise the Lord for so many things in the graciousness of that situation. Um, but ultimately, it wasn't anything the pilots did or didn't do, and it wasn't anything our mechanics did or did not do. It was a total manufacturer issue. And so that alone is a huge gift. <laughs> um, and where they landed and put down was, like, one of the only places you could actually safely put down in that area. Um, and so God just created a perfect space that it, it, when these things happen, you're not actually looking to preserve the airplane. You're looking to preserve lives. Um, and the airplane was preserved. And it will fly again. Like, they're repairing it. We're going to put a new engine in it. The airframe is fine. Uh, and we'll press on. And so my role um, on that day is I was, I was in the office and I held operational control, meaning I, I had authority for what was happening for the day, even though I wasn't in the cockpit. And so we have a satellite tracking system, and so they, they pinged a button that tells me they're having an emergency. And so um, I was to our flight following room within several seconds, and I actually watched their tracker go all the way down to impact, which is pretty uncomfortable um, when you're sitting there knowing your coworkers are in the plane, knowing the area that they're flying in, knowing that there's not a lot of options, and you're like, this is not good. And so um, I ended up assembling a crisis management team, and from, just for some of you that do logistics, from the point of their impact to when we had a, the first CMT meeting was about 20 minutes, um, which is fairly, fairly fast. And they had cell phone re reception, so we praised God for that. And they called us and said, we're, we're fine. Like, we're okay. Not a great situation, but we're not injured, and we're okay. So through, uh, like, I led our crisis management team, and through the, the decisions on that team, cleared to launch a helicopter that afternoon, and they were back in their own beds that evening. Um, and the medevac that we were doing, it wasn't life-threatening, um, it, it, it was necessary, but it wasn't critical, if that makes sense. And so they were able to be to hospital and receive care, uh, actually not many hours beyond when they would have landed if they, if they didn't put down in, in the desert. So um, the team overall is, is doing well from that. Like I said, the insurance covers the plane. Um, it's repairable. We don't, there's no significant damage to it. Um, those on the flight seem to be fine, just both physically and emotionally. Our pilots are back flying. Uh, they were back flying about two and a half weeks afterwards. So, so overall, like, we have a lot to thank the Lord for in that situation. And some things were outside of our control, but we thank God for his, for his provision, for the training and gifting and skills of our pilots. Just for reference, like, um, we actually practice engine failures in training. We don't actually kill the engine. Um, we'd simulate as if it is failed. 
And our pilots were just training together on that exact maneuver two days prior. And so for them, like, they knew exactly how the plane would react because they just did it. And so we, we regularly do this type of training uh, about on a six-month to annual basis, depending on the type of plane you fly. But to have gone through that training just 48 hours before and to know exactly what the plane is going to do is just a really neat, it's just a really neat thing. So we have a lot to thank the Lord for, um, to thank God for in that. So I want to talk, um, is it, this is counting up. So, okay. Okay. I I worry about these things. Uh, Perfect. Um, I want to talk a little bit about kind of the why about what we do. Um, because I, I think that's important, and to share some stories um, that I've seen this year just in what God is doing in East Africa, and not so much about the what of what Amer does. I think you have a good understanding of that, and um, but a bit, more of, a bit more of the why. So I think kind of in sharing some of those things, you can see it's been a bit of a rough year <laughs> for us at Amer, and as I, as I talk with friends and family, it seems as a new year changes and approaches, I don't ever meet somebody that says, this last year was the best year of my life. It can't get better than that. Like, like you always meet somebody and they're like, wow, this last year was really hard. (laughs) And like, I'm really glad it's over. Or best case scenario, they're like, this last year was okay. Uh, My health stayed the same. My finances remain the same. Um, I'm, I'm content. But we rarely meet anybody that says like, wow, like that was great, so sad it ended. Uh, and so I think that's kind of how we're feeling at, at Amer about rolling into 2020. Bit of a rough year, not so bad, a lot to thank the Lord for. But we're thankful to move on and to go forward. But I think a lot of, a lot of my year for 2019 started actually at the end of last year. I was attending an Urbana conference, which is a missions conference. I don't know if you're familiar with it, um, but a couple... I think about 150,000 college students gathered in St. Louis. And the theme of last year's Urbana Missions Conference was Revelation. And you're like, Revelation? Like, it's a missions conference. Like, stick with the Gospels. Like, that's like your, that's your bread and butter for a missions conference. But it, we talked about Revelation, and so that's kind of how I kicked off my year. And so that's been a theme of how, um, of how my life has just been focused in the past year. And I want to share that with you because... That's what I want to share with you this morning is how we see the world this, how we see the world around us matters, and if we have an eternal perspective, it makes a difference versus if we have an earthly perspective. My friend, um, I was, I had a flight, I don't know, about three or four months ago, and it's to a location. It's a creative access location, um, meaning there are not, there's not believers. You cannot be a professing Christian there. Um, and we do have missionaries that live and work there. There's a missionary family that they've been living and working there for over 25 years. And it is still a creative access location, and it is still considered an unreached people group. For context, when you, the definition between a reach and an unreached group is you're considered to be reached when 2% of the population professes Jesus Christ. 2%. So like in this room, if two of you raised your hand and said, I'm a believing Christian, this entire group would be considered reached. That's all that it takes to, be, to go from reach to unreach. That's a Joshua Tree Project definition. And so that's the type of area that, that these missionaries live in and work in. And, and I get to go there several times a year, which is really fun for me. And 
because of that, I've developed friends with um, locals in that village. And there's one in particular, and she worked as a house help for one of the missionary families, so she just helped around the house um, and just kind of helped help their family live and integrate well. Things are just harder there, and, uh, and so she provided assistance to them. And because of that, she learned English. So her and I are, are close friends. Um, and so it's a, we're similar in age, so it's just a treat for me to get to go and to spend time there. But I have never actually been to her home. And so just like the huts, the manatas that I showed, that's what she lives in. Um, and I've never, I've never been able to, to walk out to the village and, and to go and to sit in her home. And she invited us to, to do that. And so I was super psyched because I'm like, yes, I want to go to your house. She's like, come on over. And so she, she cooked and prepped for that day. And so we, we went and she served, um, she served rice and stew and she made chicken, a delicious meal. She's a great cook. Um, and we were sitting after we ate, we were sitting on these mats inside her hut that she built herself with sticks that she had collected herself. Um, and she was just sharing a bit about her life and her husband had just come back. Um, he's Muslim. Uh, she is a believer and so there's uh, that interesting dynamic in their relationship. She cannot be a expressing believer um, in that culture. If she were to express her faith, it would have really significant implications for her life. Um, and her husband had been out just kind of taking care of their animals and their property, and he just returned and he was gone for three months. And so that type of transient lifestyle is quite normal, and I think you could understand the impact on their marriage just by separation alone. And so she was glad he was home, and so we're talking a little bit about that. Her kids are running around, and um, one of them doesn't have shorts on, so I was, I was like, he's going to pee on me. He, he didn't, <laughs> but I was afraid he would. Um, and it was like over, it was over 100 degrees. It was really hot, and so we were just laying on these mats in, in her hut, and just, just, just talking, and Um, As she was just sharing about life in that culture and challenges that she was having with her kids and that her husband was away, but now he's back and they don't know where the water is going to be and potential concerns for further drought and worry about their livestock and their animals. And and she's sharing with me just these hardships and and these challenges. And it, it just, it's, it's just hard to hear. And she went on to say that the missionary that was with us asked her question. She said, well, how are your Bible studies going? And I was like, oh, that's an interesting question. And it turns out my friend in the evening, she has been gathering the kids in her hut and in the surrounding huts around her in her village, and she's telling stories about Jesus every night. She's sharing the gospel with them. It's these little kids, and, and it, it's like 10 or 15 of them, and they just come and they get to hear Old Testament Bible stories in their language. And she's sharing it from memory. And she has these storybooks. And she says, it's going great. Like, these kids are listening and they're asking questions. And I just thought, like, like what a really neat thing. I mean, in this, in this village, on a given night, she might be the only person who's proclaiming the name of Jesus. One person. One. And as I was sitting in her tent and just thinking about that in awe, I just was like, that's just... To me, that's incredible. Like, it's incredible to think about that if she wasn't there, the name of Jesus would not be proclaimed in that location. But then as I was thinking back through Revelation and this missions conference and the content from that conference, and I got to thinking, she's not, she's not actually alone. And Revelation 4, verse 8 says, 
four living creatures proclaiming day and night, and they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And in a tiny village not known to most Kenyans alone, let alone most Americans ever, my friend proclaims God's holiness with the whole of heaven. All of heaven. It's just a neat thing. I think that's just incredible. I was flying for a group of teachers. Um, they, they live in a city called Roombeck, and Roombeck is known for some hostility. I actually won't overnight there as a single female. Um, rape is a pretty big concern. Uh, the, where you stay is far from the airport. It's complicated. But I fly through Roombeck all the time, and, um, and these teachers, they, they live, they're Christian teachers, they're Ugandan, so they're Africans. Africans can reach Africans better than Americans can reach Africans any day. And so these Ugandans um, are working and living in a Muslim area in Rumbek in South Sudan, and they're teaching at a school, and they're Christian teachers, coolest group of teachers ever. Um, and so we, I was actually, I was flying for them about a month ago, but prior to that, I was sitting in my office, and we got a call for a body flight, and I was like, oh, that's not good. What's going on? Come to find out, there was some tension in Rumbek and there's always tension in Rumbek. But they were driving along the road, and one of the teachers got shot, and he died. And it was a burglary. And so we're like, oh, that's not great. And so my coworker, Joel, who lives in Uganda, he's like, yeah, I just flew him in like two weeks ago for the start of the school semester. And he's like, uh, I'll go get him. So I said, okay. So he went, flew up, um, brought all the teachers out because it's not safe, and brought the body out and they had a funeral, and they spent some time in Uganda. And um, just about a month ago, before coming back here, I was staying in Uganda filling in for Joel, and I got to fly those teachers. Um, they had flown back a couple months prior, and I got to fly them back out to Uganda, but this time for Christmas and for rest. And they were doing well, um, and they were healthy, and they were happy, um, and they had large amounts of peanut butter, because that's what you bring when you're flying from room back, back to Uganda. Um, and it, it, it was, it was cool. Like it was nice to be able to fly for them and to know that they're doing well, but it, it struck me. I was just like, these are, these are Ugandan Africans that are just working in a really hard place as teachers. And if this happened to me, if I lost a coworker in that situation, I probably wouldn't go back. <laughs> and they did, they went back. And I like, as I just think about that, I'm like, that's just, that's just incredible. They didn't even, they didn't stay out long. They had a funeral. They got some rest. They evaluated security concerns, and they said, we have to go back, and we have to resume our work that we're doing there. Like, it's a privilege to be able to fly for these people. And as I got to thinking about that, I realized they, realized, they know something that I don't know and don't understand, and that, that there's value in their testimony, and that God's goodness must be shared. And just living in a place where your testimony makes a difference, they recognize that. And, but in thinking through it, it's not a new idea. Like this dates back to a good example is Isaiah in the Old Testament and Isaiah's own commission. Can I just read it? Um, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on the throne. And if you pause there for a second, think about that. <laughs> he saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. Not, not off the throne. Not chilling. God's in his rightful place. 
and the train of the robe filled his temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. And you'll have to imagine what these are because we don't really know what they are. We just know that they're given a name. But two wings cover their faces, two cover their feet, and two, two wings fly them. That's how they fly. Six wings. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Calling to one another, meaning one says it, and the other repeats it. And then the other says it again, and the other repeats it. Back and forth. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And here's Isaiah, and he says, Woe to me. And he cried, I'm ruined. <laughs> I'm ruined. Because when you see God seated on his throne, there is no question about who we are and who God is. And he says, I'm ruined. I'm wrecked. For a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. This is the cool part. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. He did it. He did it right there. He said, you weren't worthy. You were wrecked. I'll fix this. You were dead. Now you're not dead. That's our testimony. We were dead. And now we're not. He goes on to say, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us and us Triune, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who will go for us is what is in that passage. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Five words. Here I am, send me. And he didn't know what he was signing up for. (laughs) Right? All he knew is he saw God seated on a throne. He was wrecked. And he couldn't do it. And he says, I'm unclean. I'm ruined. This isn't for me. He was dead, and now he's not. And he says, send me. That's it. Your testimony doesn't need to be fancy or complicated. Like Isaiah, like my friend in the creative access location, and like the teachers know, is once they were wrecked, and now they're not dead. (laughs) You don't need other details for your testimony. That's it. Your testimony might have other details. It might be riddled with alcoholism, abuse, divorce. I don't know. But if your testimony is not fancy, like mine, growing up in church, consistently being raised by a loving family, stepping into ministry, my testimony is simple. I was dead, and now I'm not. I think it's cool that God asks who will go for us. Like he says, I'm in heaven and there's a work to be done on earth and there's something that needs to happen and my glory needs to be known and how am I going to do it? Who will go for us? And he asks the question and our response is to say, yes, we can do this. Here I am, send me. And it doesn't mean we know what we're signing up for and it doesn't mean we might not even be signing up for anything big or grand. It just means we're here, we're present, we knew we were erect. And that 
God's goodness and mercy is of value to us to share it and to say it with others. And I think about that with the teachers. Like, I just think about their obedience and that, that they know that. And they know that they can go to a place and they can share their testimony and they can speak to God's goodness. Um, and they can have faithful obedience in that way. When I think about the context of death to life, I think particularly for me being able to work in areas of unreached people groups and to be in and out of these locations on a consistent basis, like it wrecks me. Like these are people that do not have the gospel of Jesus Christ in their own language and they have nobody to tell them. And while we worry about their eternal significance, and that is drastically important, it wrecks me on a consistent basis because they are currently walking dead. Like, as they walk right now and roam the earth in their daily activities, whatever they're doing, they don't know God. Like, the Bible's pretty clear about God's goodness and the joy that it brings, and it's also pretty clear about how hard life is when you don't know that. And so... While I worry about their eternal significance, I worry about the urgency of getting them the gospel now and getting them access to Jesus Christ now because it matters. Because they're walking and living every day, not knowing God and being separated from God and worried about their sin. And they're like Isaiah. They know, they know they're wrecked. There's no question about that. Like People on earth know they are full of sin and they don't know what to do with it. And so I look at these people groups and I just think, how can we tell them sooner? How can we tell them earlier? How can we tell them with more urgency? How can we help them understand? Because it matters on the day that they die, but it matters just as much right now because they're dead, (laughs) just like I was. And I know, like, I know as I stand here, there's risk and there's loss and there's hurt and there's pain and there's suffering. And you're saying, Lindsay, like, that's great, but I live in Valley Center and there might not be unreached peoples. That's fine, but there's dead people around you every day. And so be bold and be courageous and be steadfast and cling to the gift of salvation and let your testimony be a faithful witness for the work of Jesus Christ, for the Lord is indeed holy. God is holy. And if I can conclude with any Anything that I want to communicate today, the why behind what we do by what you do is because the holiness of God needs to be proclaimed. And we are walking and we're living and we're abiding in him and that on a daily basis. And here I am, send me. It doesn't matter what you're signing up for. It's being able to be used by God, an an all-powerful God who's sitting on the throne as we speak And angels are proclaiming about his holiness back and forth, fresh, as if they never heard it before. Proclaiming it, proclaiming it back and forth, one after another. That's happening now. All of heaven is proclaiming God's glory, his mercy, his goodness, his holiness. And we get to be part of them. I'm going to close with John's greetings in Revelation because it's the theme of what I'm sharing with you today. It's been the theme of my 2019 I hope you will look at Revelation and may it grace and be a theme upon your life. In the first book, first chapter of Revelation, John is greeting the seven churches in Asia. And this is his greeting, and this is what I want to leave with you. 
Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Mark chapter 9, if you listened earlier, um, we're going to continue this theme here. Um, We've been on a break from Mark for the last month for Christmas, and this is where we left off, and we'll kind of, we'll loop back around next week, but um, kind of going into communion with this this view of who God is. Um, In Mark chapter 9, we read, um, from there they went out. And began to go through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know about it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand the statement, and they were afraid to ask him. And so, uh, just, just to kind of get our bearings, I have a few minutes. Um, I have the map behind me. Um, where we were a month ago and for a few weeks leading up to that, um, remember Jesus started and we're kind of above the star at, at Capernaum is the Sea of Galilee. They were, they were there. He took his disciples up north to where the red line is under Caesarea Philippi and he begins asking them questions. Hey, who do people say that I am? And they, they gave all of their different answers, you know, prophet, some say this, some say that. And then Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. And, and he said, you answer correctly. And so to, to think of this picture, you know, this, this picture of, of Jesus uh, the, in, in, up in the heavens in Revelation, um, that, that that's where he was prior to coming to earth. That's where he was before the foundation of the earth and that he would step down into human form. Um, and, and, and so he's doing his teaching and the disciples get it. And then he begins to say, you know what? It doesn't end with me establishing my throne here. It ends with me going to the cross. And Peter goes from hero to hobo and says, no, may it never be. Like, like I'll die before you die. There's no way. And Jesus is like, get behind me. And he says, not, you know, you guys aren't going to, there are some here that will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God and his glory. And from there, they basically trek from Caesarea Philippi to Mount Hermon, where the arrow is. And Jesus just takes three of them, Peter, James, and John. And there, he's transfigured. And so his, his glory and all of his holiness is revealed for them uh, to see and you know, we, we're not going to recap the whole story, but all of a sudden there's Elijah and Moses and it's, it's believed to be during the Feast of Tabernacles and Peter's like, what do we do now? Like, can we build a shelter for you? Can we do this? You know, like, um, and so they, they depart, they head back down to Galilee um, and they're told they're not to say anything to the other disciples about this. 
when they get to the, the um, when they get to Caesarea Philippi, they're met by the disciples, and there's there's the the tension that's been brewing, and and there was a, a, a man with a, a sick son that the, the the disciples apparently couldn't heal, and so this fight kind of breaks out, and there's the father. It's like if you can heal him, heal him. I brought him to your disciples; they couldn't do it, and there's just this heartbreak of this parent. And he says, if you can heal him at that moment, Jesus is like, if, if I can heal him. And it's just the, uh, the, this prayer of this father is beautiful that, you know, I believe, help my unbelief. And if we're honest, we've, we've all been there, to, you know, to, to recognize, to have faith that, that for me, that Christ is my Savior, doesn't mean that I'm going to go through and experience something that then rattles my faith, rattles where's God in all of this. And so it's this, this beautiful prayer um, that the Father asks, and Jesus heals uh, the Son. And th- this is where we pick up these few verses. And so we're told from there, they went out and began to go to the region of Galilee. So, th- so they make their way from the line down, uh, not to the Sea of Galilee, but, but to the, the region. And he didn't want anyone to know about it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them. So, so it's... He's at the place where he wants to create um, some freedom from the distractions. Um, he needs alone time with them. Their, their, their time of discipleship is running short. And Jesus' mission is now coming into focus that he would go to the cross. And so he needed to take them away from their distractions. He needed to take them away from all of the people with all of the demands on them that had been pressing upon him and going... I mean, we read all through Mark, and it, it, this going through Mark has really stood out to me how over and over and over again they're in these situations, and it was like they're so busy that they, they're so overwhelmed with the demands on them that they couldn't even eat. And so Jesus has them away, and he's like, I need to teach you. I need you to understand what is happening in the, the great uh, redemptive plan of God. And he explains, he says, the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. This is a repetitive theme that Jesus from Caesarea begins hammering into their heads over and over and over again. He's like, you guys have me, that I'm going to reign and to rule, but you've missed Isaiah 53. You've missed the suffering servant. You've missed the main point of my coming is to be a sacrifice to make payment for the sins that you've committed that, of all humanity so that relationship could be restored. And so the gospel is presented over and over and over again. And this is exactly what we need. This is exactly what communion is. It's, it's sort of this, um, this object lesson that God gave us to do as often as we do it. I don't think you can do it too much, quite frankly. But it's sort of like the... This, I always get into trouble when I go into musical illustrations when I'm not musical. But I'm pretty sure it's just called a tuning fork. I'm looking at Don, the little thing you go dong, and like you can hear it. And apparently, a musician can hear that sound. And then, well, I guess it doesn't come out your ear. Or they can like you can do it, and then line up the sound of the dong to kind of get everything in tune. I, I think that communion for us, it's sort of like that tuning fork. Like Christian, you might have gone your whole life, and you've gone this direction, and you think you're doing everything right, but you're not going according to God's plan. And this is a tuning fork to realign us, to remind us what the gospel is, what our whole lives are about. It's, it's everything. 
that Jesus died for us. This cross is a huge thing. In Colossians 2.14, we read, when you were dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Now, I know Scott didn't, I mean, I love it when Scott's up here doing announcements and then he starts touching on the gospel. Scott is an attorney. And so when you hear an attorney explain, like, what is happening, like, this is a legal transaction that's happened in the heavens on our behalf, that you all were involved in the most uh, horrific lawsuit against you for all of your sins without you even knowing about it. And Jesus is battling, like we're told that there's this, this criminal case against you, that even present day, that Satan is in revelation, he's making accusations against you, and we're told that we have an advocate, this attorney, that say, no, when I died on the cross, this, there was a legal exchange that happened. They're no longer condemned. They're secure in me. They're alive in me. They're secure. And we so often, if you've received Christ, we forget. We don't realize the implications of what's been done on our behalf. And for those of us that maybe aren't believers, you go, what's the big deal? It's like, it's a huge deal. You don't understand who God is. Starting with who God is in relation to who you are, Isaiah figured it out. Every encounter where man is, is confronted or sees the deity of God like in his holiness, the response is they fall on their face and they, woe to me, I'm a sinful man. So Jesus is telling him, they're going to they're gonna hand me over, my life is going to be taken, and when he has been killed, referring to himself, he's going to rise on the third day. Now, I don't think that they got that last little phrase because dead people don't rise from the grave. This isn't, this, this isn't something normal. This is a supernatural event that Jesus conquered death. And because he conquered death, the great persecutor of the church, Paul the Apostle, later in 1 Corinthians, writes this in 15, this whole dealing with the resurrection. At the very end of this chapter, he writes, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus rose from the dead. The story didn't end on the cross. He was resurrected. And this is the whole point of communion. We, we're going we're gonna to have the guys come forward and we're going to pass out a cracker and the cracker is symbolic of the broken body of Jesus that was broken on our behalf for our sin. Then we have the juice, which symbolizes, oh, they're so responsive. They're coming up. <laughs> awesome. You guys can come on up. Um, uh, it's like I triggered the button. <laughs> I must have said something. Um, then there's the juice dealing with the, the, the new covenant. Um, you guys can hold a little second here, just, or sit down. Yeah, you can. I, like, accidentally hit the button, like the emergency response button. <laughs> it's like the, like, in the police department, there's a bunch of little red buttons all around the floor, and if you touch them, it sends everybody. And, like, I think I accidentally hit one of those little red buttons. Um, verse 32. But so after Jesus is saying this, all the guys are listening, but it said they didn't understand the statement. And it's, I think it's okay to not understand the gospel. Like if you're here and you're not really got your mind wrapped around, talk to me, talk to whoever, come up for prayer afterwards. Talk, talk to somebody. 
Like the problem is, it says they were, they were afraid to ask him. It didn't say that Jesus didn't want them asking him questions. It said that they were afraid to ask him the question. Like they were having a hard time wrapping their minds around it. And, and I don't know anybody that will tell you the gospel is an easy thing to wrap your mind around. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I love genuine questions. I love people like to give you resources to help you in your quest. So wrestle through your questions. And so as we begin this year, like communion, when we take this, it's sort of uh, like a reset. It, it, it gives us an opportunity to examine our lives. To um, we're, at a, we're at a new year and we're at a new decade. And, and so this is a time for us to reflect. And, and so... When I look at this story, I see that Jesus took them away to get them away from distractions so that they could listen. I also see that they were afraid to ask questions. They, they, they'd limited themselves in moving forward and sort of growing their own faith and their, their own, uh, what they're going through. So as we take communion, in a few minutes, the guys are going to go out, they're going to pass it out. And as we sit there, it's a time for you to confess your sin I would say it's a time for you to reflect about like what things do you need to remove from your life. So often we allow things in our life that, that just create busyness and they, they interrupt our, our communion, our relationship with God. Um, there are other things, like what things do you need to add into your life? Like discipline. You know, this, this year I'm going to kick it up again. We're doing a Bible reading plan. Like I'm committed to go through this, the Bible again this year. Um, you know, if you're, it's the through the year in a Bible plan. If you have, have an app on your phone, it's Faith Life. Like, there's like 11 people from the church going through it. I like love it already because already my phone's like, so and so read their Bible this morning, so and so read their Bible this morning, so and so read their Bible this morning. I'm like, oh, I should read my Bible this morning. Um, but, but but what disciplines are you are you lacking that you that you need to like say, you know what, this year is going to be the year that I'm going to put some some things in my life so that I actually foster spiritual growth, that I grow, that I move forward. Maybe it's serving in some way. Maybe um, it's going overseas and, and visiting one of the missionaries and being challenged by what God is doing and seeing what we're a part of. So with that, I'm going to pray. The guys can go forward and dis- distribute the elements. Um, Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for uh, the reminder of what this is all about, your glory. You are greater and larger and more magnificent and powerful than anything we can possibly imagine. And so, Lord, help us to fill in the sketch in our mind of this this image of you in the heavens on your throne with the angels going back and forth with the holy, holy, holy. Lord, you're unapproachable. The only reason we're able to approach you is because of what you have done on our behalf. And so, Lord, as the elements go out, I, I just, Lord, I ask for each individual here that, that maybe isn't certain about where they stand with you. Father, may you help them to, to grap, grapple and to wrestle through these, um, these, these elements of, of the gospel that Jesus died for them that all that you're asking is response, belief, trust. It doesn't make sense in our economy, but I pray for those, Lord, that, are, that need to connect the dots of faith. Uh, Lord, help them to do so. Father, for those of us that have trusted, 
some of us recently, some of us many, many years ago. Father, I pray that as we hold the elements and prepare to take communion today, Lord, I pray that you would retune uh, the spiritual ears of our hearts, that we would recognize that this is about Jesus and what he did on our behalf, that we were dead but we're alive now because of him. Father, I ask that you would help us to, to reflect on our lives. Lord, are there things that we need to cut out that are not good, that are not helping us move forward in our relationship with you? Father, are there things that we need to do to help foster uh, spiritual growth in our own lives? Father, we ask that your spirit would lead and guide each one of us today. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. So the elements are going to go forward. Just hold on to them, and then we'll take together. Father, we do thank you for your work that you did on the cross on our behalf. Father, as we hold these elements signifying the, um, the death of Jesus that was sufficient for us, and the juice which symbolizes the the new covenant, the, the once and for all transaction on our behalf. Lord, we, we thank you. Father, we ask that you would help us, Lord, to, um, to cut things out of our life that we don't need. Father, sin is so, um, it just has such a power on us. And there are things that are so hard to, to undo. There's, we have a long history of, of sinning in our own lives. We have family cultures that have set patterns in our life that we have to break. And um, Lord, I just ask that you would help us to, to do this. We, we can't do it on our own strength. Father, we confess um, so often uh, just the apathy of, of the gospel that, 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 that seems to be rampant in our culture, that we are so... Uh, familiar with it, that, that it's just not, not a big deal anymore. And so I pray that you would take that from us. Lord, help the gospel to be something that's uh, new to us every day, something that we never grow old of hearing about. Um, Lord, as your word tells us that we're to do this, uh, we're to, to continue to proclaim the Lord's death as often as we take communion. And so, Father, I pray that you would, Lord, within our hearts, give us your eyes, Lord, give us a, um, a, a true uh, compassion and burden for those around us and the world, Lord, um, that don't know Christ. Lord, help us to have courage in sharing. Help us to be a church that uh, reaches those around us, continues to partner with those that we support around the world. Uh, taking the gospel to these, uh, these dark, dark regions. And Father, we do thank you that there is life in Christ. Father, we pray that you would help this year to be a year uh, that we look back upon and say, I grew in Christ this year, regardless of what came my way, difficulties or good times, but that we were diligent about pursuing our relationship with you. Uh, we're grateful, Lord, for the... Um, that you were proactive in, in reaching us, that you took the first step. Uh, and so, Lord, help us to respond to you in grace. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.